Thought Leadership from PwC. There's uncertainty. You've got to reinvent your business. You've got to transform, and, and a lot of that's going to be around digital. But you've got to lead, and you've got to bring talent along in that environment. Today, we're bringing you a special episode focused on resilience, growth, and preparing for the future during uncertain times. This is PwC's Accounting Podcast. I'm Heather Horn, and thanks so much for joining us today. PwC's 26th Annual Global CEO Survey came out earlier this month, and the data revealed that CEOs are facing a dual imperative in today's uncertain environment to not only reduce costs, but also to spur growth. Businesses are facing uncertainty and exploring options to shore up and prepare for the future, such as reducing operating costs, diversifying products and services, raising prices, or implementing hiring freezes. So which of all these options is best for your company? That's one thing our guest is here today to discuss. Bhushan Sethi is a partner in Strategy End, PwC's strategy consulting business, where he's focused on business and organization transformation. Bhushan's been a frequent guest to the podcast on workforce-related topics, but my conversation with him this time around took a wider view of some of the key questions facing companies as they work to ensure their businesses weather storms in the near term, while still preparing for long-term success. Bouchon's years of experience as a global leader for the firm and sought-after thinker provide many insights for anyone wanting to effectively navigate the most timely decision points companies are facing today. With that, let's get started. Bouchon, welcome back to the podcast. So nice to have you on and to have you in person. Thanks for joining me. Great to be back with you. Happy New Year. Yes, to you too. So actually on that point, it's been a few months since we've had you on and I feel like I don't know if this is the case pre-COVID, but these days, like every week is practically a month and every month feels like a year and before times. But in any event, things continue to evolve from the business environment perspective. And I know you also have a new role. You started chatting with me about that and some new focus areas. So where would you like to start our conversation? Yeah, so what I compare to, when, you know, what's been happening in the last few months, um, obviously the economic outlook for all of our clients has been a big focus. Like, how do you think about inflation? How do you think about your pricing power? Um, how do you think about business model reinvention? Obviously, geopolitical tensions are still very rife around the world. You know, whether it's decoupling of US and China, what's happening with the war in Ukraine and the impact on Europe and the developing markets, and obviously the talent agenda. You know, all these factors around the economy, around geopolitics, around technology and transformation and talent are all impacting every one of our clients. Big role for finance in that, um, Heather. So I look forward to really kind of digging into each of those areas with you. It's funny because as you were speaking, I jotted down geopolitical right before you said it. So maybe start there because I feel like start big. And I think that is probably one of the biggest things on people's minds. So as you're talking to CFOs, then what is on sort of that agenda related to dealing with what's going on from a geopolitical perspective? Yeah. So, I mean, what's interesting, we just uh, launched our CEO survey in Davos last week. What's interesting is when we asked the CEOs, over 4,000 of them, what was on their mind now and what was on their mind in the next five years, geopolitical issues, macroeconomic trends were kind of the two big headlines. So 
no one can predict the future, but we're gonna we're gonna have geopolitical shocks and tensions around the world, which means businesses are gonna still have to think about their supply chain. They're gonna have to think about kind of product sourcing. They're gonna think about locations for talent. They're gonna have to communicate with their employees around all of those aspects. But finance departments are gonna be in the center of that from a planning, from an investment, from a capital management perspective. But also leaders, whether finance leaders or other business leaders, are going to have to really engage their workforce. Gen Z wants much more transparency on all of these issues. Purpose and values have never been more important. Even though we're in choppy economic times and you see a few more layoffs here in the U.S. in sectors like technology and media and a little bit in financial services, the power is still to the worker. The worker still wants much more transparency especially the largest segment in the workforce being Gen Z and the millennials. So th- there's a lot to think about in terms of how geopolitics impacts kind of the plans today and tomorrow, which is why kind of the scenario planning with the CFO at the center, with HR, with business leaders, with technology um, is going to be so critical. So, Bushan, obviously, when you've been on in the past, we've talked workforce. And as soon as you start talking about the workforce, I have a gazillion questions for you. However, let's get to that a little bit later. So you referenced the CEO survey, and that's something that's always been of a lot of interest to this audience. We've had past episodes on that. What are, for you, some of the key takeaways in terms of how it relates to some of the work you're doing in what you found in the survey? Any specifics? Yeah, so a couple of things. Um, Optimism is much less than last year. That is really important in terms of sentiment and in terms of kind of how you lead and engage people. And what's what's really important is you need confidence to transform your business. So many businesses are now saying, how do we rethink our business model? How do we use more technology in our front office? How do we use more alliance technology partners in the areas like banking? How does the bank partner with a big technology firm to engage in business-to-business channels. So so thinking about the ecosystem, thinking about your your tech vendors that you will work with as a business leader is so critical in, in terms of a part of transformation. You need confidence. You, you need to kind of bring people along who are working those transformations for you. You need access to talent. We, you know, we, we can't have the transformation comment and discussion without talking about talent. But what was kind of clear to me is optimism is low, but we've got to get past that if we're going to have to think about business model reinvention, automation and investments in technology of all kinds, both business to business, business to consumer, employee-based technology, um, and is not going away. Firms need that. Many firms are still at, in the first innings of their digital transformation or implementing kind of finance transformation technologies, et cetera. So, so kind of the big headlines are there's uncertainty, You've got to reinvent your business. You've got to transform. And, and a lot of that's going to be around digital, but you've got to lead and you've got to bring talent along in that environment, even if you're going to have to go through the challenge of making layoffs or cutting compensation or doing more with less or deprioritizing or managing your portfolio of businesses, all the changes that our clients are going to have to think through. So it's interesting, this point on optimism, because I feel like we've had some other conversations when things were equally, I'll call it bleak-ish from a a world perspective, because we started talking during COVID. And yet there was this continual theme of optimism. We've talked about this in the past, and now there's not. And so as you're talking to clients and you know, th- that impacts individuals as well as businesses. And you're talking to CFOs dealing with all of these different types of issues. How do you talk? Well, 
how do you talk about prioritizing, but also how do they kind of manage through all of this? Because again, they're also a person working through this. Yeah, so that uncertainty is going to be a very personal thing to individuals. Those of us who've lived through the financial crisis will will always say that this, that what we're going through now and hopefully what we'll see in the next 12 to 18 months is much more of a shallow recession and mm-hmm. the impact on business and people because we're not having the economic turmoil. We're not having the mass layoffs. We're not having kind of financial markets pull down all other areas of business. Hopefully, again, we, we don't have a crystal ball. Um, those, those of us who kind of, I moved here at the start of the dot-com boom and bust, you know, that was a very interesting time where we saw a lot of businesses, a lot of startups, et cetera, kind of change. What's happening in the tech sector now, for example, Heather, is not that. It's just that there was a an anticipation of demand. Mm-hmm. There was a huge hiring because there was a talent crunch. There was a great resignation, which we've talked about. Yes. Um, in the same way that many businesses have to manage demand and supply constraints, that's what the tech sector is doing and making that correction. So even though there is kind of uncertainty, we are not at the crisis levels of 08, and we have a very different market to 02, but we have something called social media. And we have something called purpose and stakeholder capitalism mm-hmm. and lots and lots of stakeholders, investors, employees, um, you know, vendors, customers, all looking to see what companies are doing, whether you're public or private. So it is it is an uncertain environment. It's different to previous times, but that doesn't mean you can be any less less transparent. So let me pick up on your last point, because I, from some of our other conversations, it all comes back to purpose, right? Because then that drives your strategy, how you interact with all your stakeholders and otherwise. And are you seeing companies after the past few years and as they face whatever is coming next, more focused on purpose? Is that something that was sort of done, you know, during 2021? That's the, the, the buzzwords and now companies have moved on? Or how are you seeing companies define where they fit and what their values are. Yeah, so it, it comes back to the the prioritization. So those businesses that are in the banking area, they really want to be focused on purpose when they think about their customers and their small media businesses that may be you know, having a credit crunch now in a higher interest rate environment. And how can we be helpful there? In the area of ESG, certain firms have kind of seen kind of the climate piece as less important to kind of thinking about immediate profits. Mm -hmm. Now, many firms are still focusing on decarbonization, especially if you're in energy or industrial products, but some are saying what's right now most important is we take care of our customers. We continue to kind of keep employees where we can. We simplify our business and areas like climate, even though they're still important, they have to kind of fall lower down the priority. So so that purpose is using to guide strategy and decisions and investment for for different firms. I'm sure there's always going to be firms that that say, hey, look, this 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 purpose where we're trying to be all things to all mm-hmm. people, we're trying to be super trusted around every kind of stakeholder group. We we've got to kind of earn the right in the immediate term to manage cash flow, manage our balance sheets, pay our people, uh, kind of do what's right for our, our shareholders if they're a public company. And so there is this challenge now that you've got to earn the right by kind of focusing on the immediate term in the next one to two years so that you can pursue longer term strategies, whether it's supply chain, ESG, kind of other areas of your business. So what are you seeing then as you think through these economic challenges? And I want to come back to the war for talent, but what are some of the sort of 
paradoxes that you're seeing as companies are navigating through this sort of, you know, batten down the hatches, get ready for what's coming next? It, it's really how do I kind of balance the short and the long term? So one of the stats, again, 40% of the CEOs told us that they don't think their business will be viable in the next 10 years. Now, with the advance of technology and change and changing consumer preferences and degrees of innovation, you might say, I'm not particularly surprised. But if you're living in one of those organizations mm -hmm. and someone said, our current business model and ways of working and products and services will not be viable in the next 10 years, What's going to happen in those organizations? You're going to have to say, how do we think about products differently? How do we think about value creation? How do we think about investments in technology? What are our physical supply chain, our mm -hmm. locations we're in as a kind of a, th a thought to geopolitical tensions? So many of these businesses now are saying, how do we kind of deal with the short term, but also think about business model of reinvention? And again, it's going to be different in different sectors. Mm -hmm. Some are going to be working more with alliance partners. Some are going to be bringing supply chains back. Some are going to be trying to simplify parts of their business. Um, some are going to use contingent workers instead of full-time workers to give them that cost flexibility. So, so that's kind of what I see in organizations now. Focus on the near term, scenario plan for the long term, and make sure that you're, you're making some calculated bets around technologies and products and business model and talent that, that still pay dividends in the future. So I have to ask a follow-up on this, not viable in 10 years. Is this not viable if we don't change? Yes. Okay, that's good. Because yes. otherwise, just not viable, period, is not too optimistic. But Bishan, I know we've been doing this CEO survey for years. I don't know if this is a new question, but this number seems like it has to be higher. Because I don't remember talking about this statistic yeah. previously. This one's a new question, but the, the optimism question... Yes. It is, it is the lowest kind of optimism, kind of they, they, last year it was cautiously optimistic. Yes. This is kind of the lowest kind of level of optimism that we've seen since the financial crisis, which again, you could, given that CEOs are like us, they want to focus on what they can control, macroeconomic headwinds, geopolitical tensions, a lot of that is out of control of kind of the CEO. And so that what they are doing is focusing on managing costs, mm -hmm. investing in technology, focusing on talent where where they can, focusing on their business, the, the portfolio of their businesses, et cetera. So if you're talking to a business that thinks it's not going to be viable in 10 years, that feels like more than just, I need to contain costs. This feels like I need to change my business model. And so how does the, a company kind of redirect almost like a ship? You know, there, it's not easy to to change your whole strategy. And so how how are those conversations and what's the reaction of the people you're talking to? Do they know or you're kind of bringing this to them? I think many businesses are now saying that we need to reinvent. We need to transform. There's different forms of transformation we've seen over the years, whether it's been digital transformation, focus on business, you know, customer transformation, transformation around talent, functional transformations. Businesses have really realized that this is a capability that you need in a company. Just like you need an, if you're in acquisition mode, you need an M&A playbook mm -hmm. and you need an M&A capability to be able to do the due diligence, evaluate it, integrate the firms appropriately, drive the synergies and kind of get people focused kind of as one team and back to business. In the same way, transformation is a capability. So those firms that do it well 
are kind of going to be thinking constantly around business model reinvention and thinking about products and investments in customer channels and really understanding what their customer wants. And does our sales force really have the talent and the technology and the foresight to kind of look to the future to say, what are the customer trends? How do changes in climate, weather patterns, geopolitics impact kind of our customers? Do we need to simplify our business? So this building a transformation capability with the technology, the people, the investment in the planning processes, the investment processes, which again is very relevant to the finance function, um, is so important right now. And again, some firms do that very well and have been doing that well for a number of years, and some are still kind of building that muscle. And we have to say, Heather, whether we like it or not, this feels different when we are going back to the physical workplace. Many of our clients are now operating at two to three days in the office. When you're in when you're in rooms with people and you're innovating and you're at the whiteboard like we are today, it feels different. Mm-hmm. It feels different around thinking about creative ideas to innovate and think about simplifying the business. It, it does feel differently when you think about what are the sources of value creation? How do we best invest in new technology? How do we prioritize? Um, so there is a bit about in the next 12 to 18 months as we really do get back to kind of two to three days, you know, on site, wherever people are in, in the country, um, work will feel different even to kind of execute and design some of those transformations. Yeah. So Vishana, it seems like if people have been listening to some of your past podcasts, they may, they may be ahead on some of this, but let me ask a question then, because you mentioned the layoffs that we're starting to see. And particularly, I'm sure we have some listeners that are in the tech sector and are seeing this happen in their own businesses. You mentioned financial services. The numbers are big, maybe not in the context of the entire U.S. workforce, but it's still some headline grabbing numbers. And so when you see that, it almost seems like now the the pendulum is shifting back to the employer. And yet when I see at least my kids and their part-time jobs, they're still, their salaries are crazy. They can get a job the next day. So is there something going on here with the type of worker? And, and what does this mean also just more broadly for sort of the war for talent? Yeah. So, so firstly, to anyone who's who's been impacted by this, it's 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 obviously very personal. We can all kind of make statements around the strong labor markets in the U.S., and we do have strong labor markets with still record low unemployment of three and a half percent. We still have almost two openings to every one job seeker. But if you've been if you've lost your job recently or are kind of at risk, it's going to be very personal. Mm-hmm. And even though the stats, Heather, are showing people, especially in the tech sector are not filing kind of claims and they're kind of finding jobs pretty quickly. And it's a it's a quite skilled, experienced mobile workforce. It is a challenge and it does kind of impact kind of confidence. So for people who are, who are kind of managers who are making those decisions, advising on those decisions, for people who are impacted, it is very personal. And there's kind of, you know, a whole focus on kind of building your network, building mm-hmm. relationships, staying confident, kind of getting yourself out there, updating your profiles, um, and, and trying to kind of find, you know, work in another industry or another function, et cetera, and, and maybe some reskilling work. Mm-hmm. But for those businesses, when we think about the broader labor markets, um, they are incredibly strong. The power, by and large, is still with the specialist worker. If you work in, if you work in cyber, if you work in front office, if you're working on a critical transformation for your company, if you're in the M&A space as deals will inevitably pick up when we see kind of interest rates go down or we see kind of more insolvencies and more deals happening. If you're working in areas of demand, 
then it is a strong talent market. So I get this question a lot. Has the labor, has the pendulum swung back to the employer from the employee? And I would say by and large, no, even though that is contrary to some of the headlines we see around layoffs in tech sector and financial services and media. And I, again, I don't want to kind of, um, you know, diminish the fact that people who have kind of been impacted by this, it's a, it's a very, it's a very tough time and it's a very uncertain time for some people in, in, in the economy. So going with this question around workforce, you know, we had the, as you said, the resignation, then we've had discussion on quiet quitting. And then more recently, I've been reading all of a sudden, it seems like all over the place are articles about valuing your employees and ha- giving your employees purpose and those types of things. And so are you seeing the relationship between the employer and the employee changing as a result of all of these different moving parts or still sort of the same play comes in, gets their work done, you know, and even though maybe on the surface, there's new programs and things underneath that's, you know, you're still a bit of commodity. So, so first of all, on these, um, these buzzwords, quite quitting, quite hiring, et cetera, they're used more by either consultants or media than they are by our clients. Our clients don't talk to me about, you know, I need to quite hire someone. It's, I need to think about my workforce mix based on kind of my needs of the future. And, you know, where do I kind of move people around to, to priority areas of my business? Where do I need contingent workers, yes. et cetera? And I'm yeah. sure a lot of people on, on the, on the, who are listening in will think about that from a financial planning right. and workforce planning perspective. Um, but the broader point is, I think what's clear is worker preferences have changed. And those workers that do have agency and are critical for their company can still call the shots. And whether that's on the workplace mm-hmm. um, in terms of I want to work a hybrid schedule, whether it's I want to raise my hand to say I want a stretch roll and a development opportunity, or I want to work in a better psychologically safe work environment. I want to work with bosses that who are going to develop me and mm-hmm. empower me. Um, what I'm seeing from businesses now is – they want to engage the creativity and unleash that from their people. Um, one of our clients has come to us and said, how do we actually empower all of our people to kind of break down bureaucracy in our organization? How do we get, how do we get in the same way that we did this at PwC? How do we get citizen-led innovation? You know, we've done a lot of the top-down. This one company has done a lot of the top-down transformation and investments, but they're saying, we're a global workforce. There could be great ideas we have in terms of improving our productivity and our offerings. How do we engage our people to do that? So I think the the firms that do this well will still realize that there's untapped creativity and potential mm-hmm. in their people. People do want to work differently. Those preferences have changed. People do have a choice. People are still leaving firms and finding other roles, contrary to, you know, the terrible thing that we see in certain sectors and mm-hmm. certain types of head count around around the layoffs. So woe betide any kind of business leader who takes for granted that we're in a different type of talent market. They are still strong for certain businesses and certain types of talent. So Bushan, let me ask you a question then, because to your point, it is difficult for the person impacted by a layoff or otherwise, but I also it's also difficult for the person making the decision and for the company as they're going through that. So what are we advising CFOs as we as you talk to them about I'll call it right sizing although I hate that word or you know otherwise making changes to the size of their workforce to kind of um, 
look ahead to what they're expecting in the next 12 to 18 months? Yeah. So the, the first thing for me is advising companies is, is be transparent as you can. So engaging people, not on the exact numbers and dates, because that might change based on demand, but the process. So if you're going to look at demand for products, demand for services, you might be looking at certain geographies or certain skill sets. Um, be transparent with people so that they can actually at least understand the process. And then when you look at all the different levers you have to manage costs, there are some which don't relate to workforce. Mm -hmm. Can you change spending? Can you change kind of other discretionary expenses? Is there less travel that you can do? Is there kind of vendors that you can cut and other kind of areas of spend? And if you have to make the difficult decisions around workforce, some things that I've seen work well is just look at creative alternatives. Some people might want to job share, mm -hmm. um, making that offer. The one around kind of asking people for voluntary either retirement mm -hmm. or um, people to go on sabbatical or asking people to leave and take a severance package. Some people do that. Sometimes that might, might backfire because some of your top talent might actually take that. But but some companies kind of you know your you know your workforce and you could you could offer that. Um, potentially using more contingent workers or even saying to your some employees to say we're going to either outsource some work or move it to a staffing firm we'll give you the option to rebadge and be part of that uh, that staffing firm that way you still have the dignity of work you still have a paycheck but for the company you're, you're moving that cost from a fixed cost to a variable cost um, but for me it's about transparency and where you do have to make that difficult decision if you've looked at all the other alternatives to layoff making it quick, making people mm -hmm. well aware, giving them as much kind of generosity around severance, including investments in reskilling and resume kind of support and helping them with your network, whether it's your network of suppliers, your network of customers, your network in your geographical community, that stuff's going to matter. Um, we have something called social media now. We have kind of digital profiles of our resumes on different uh, on different kind of platforms. Making your and I've seen this work really well, where people have actually lost lost their jobs and actually said, "I'm now available," and people in their network are trying to help them out. And I've kind of tried to do that myself as well, where I've where I've seen. So, but but the but the bottom line for businesses is transparency, speed. Look at all your alternatives, and when you have to do it. Do it with dignity and kind of over-index where you can on some of the severance and investments around reskilling and and job search yeah. and support. That, I mean, seems logical. I have a question on the voluntary because you made a good point that sometimes it's the higher performance. But I also feel like sometimes then for the workforce left behind, it feels like, okay, but your coworkers that you miss dearly at least made a choice versus like an involuntary choice. So it almost feels like to some extent also for the workforce that's still there, the better you handle some of these decisions, it can make a difference Absolutely. as well. And the opposite to that is this, this term around psychological safety when, you know, if we compare it to 08 where lots of firms had to kind of cut costs and cut headcount, including the banks, and they had to kind of simplify and right-size their business, the people that were left kind of just feel kind of that that fear and that grieving mm -hmm. for their former colleagues and that sense of guilt that they were kind of left. And I'm sure we're feeling that in some of the some of the tech firms that uh, kind of have made the layoffs recently. Um, the other one that I also always get asked about is across the board compensation kind of cuts. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, some businesses and some individuals have done incredibly well in the last few years in certain certain sectors. Having experienced an across the board cut earlier in my career, where I was working in one firm and they cut everyone's salary 7%, 
as a relatively junior guy at the time, that felt really demoralizing and it didn't feel fair. Mm. Um, it felt regressive as a junior person. So again, it's the unintended consequences. I'm now talking about that 20 years later. Yes. People yeah. have long memories around what the firms do. So anything you do, kind of think about all your constituents, think about the unintended consequences, and then just make that decision and, and just drive the communications. Yeah. So we talked about cutting people. You talked, you at least alluded to cutting other costs. What other types of approaches are you seeing work su successfully as companies look to sort of prepare for whatever is going to come in the next, say, 12 to 24 months? Yeah. And this is where companies that can are looking to say, how do we grow? Um, how do we grow new products? How do we grow new offerings? Can we actually sell more through business to business channels, partnering with a tech firm? Um, can we drive more share of wallet for certain customers if we kind of think about a broad set of services or, or products? So again, going back to kind of the growth levers for the company, it's going to be different in different industries to say, how do we go after market share? How do we go after more customers? How do we think about you know, more products to do to kind of the same sets of customers. And obviously, how do we use technology to, to drive growth, model that growth, kind of have the right talent to support the selling and the and the kind of the administering of kind of, you know, some some of those growth objectives and the planning is going to be important as well. So growth is growth is still on the agenda. We know that we have productivity challenges. We know we have low GDP in the US and around the world. But those firms that can are looking to say, how do I free up, how do I invest in technology? How do I free up capacity? How do I simplify all those elements of cost so that I can reinvest in where I do want to grow? So, Bashan, I feel like investing in technology and transformation are also two words that if I was interviewing you in 2005 or 2007, 2015, pretty much any year we would be talking about. And I do think for some workers, at least, if not companies, it just feels like you're constantly transforming. When do you stop transforming? And my sense is, as soon as I said that, your answer is going to be never. But why don't you, maybe you can respond and say, like, how do you know when it's okay to kind of take a bit of status quo, take a pause, and when you need to keep changing? So what, when I hear that question, I hear two things. One is, is there change fatigue within organizations? And especially those of us who've been working a number of years and lived through different cycles to say, now we're in, you know, we went from ERP solutions at the start of this century. Um, we went through financial crisis. We've gone through this purpose piece. We're mm -hmm. now implementing all kinds of cloud-based technology. We're building up defenses around cyber. We're moving work to the metaverse, like whatever it may be. Um, that, that constant change and that building a transformation capability and, and individual workers and managers being comfortable that they have to focus on business as usual and change the business is just, is just the nature of any work anywhere in the world. The second thing I think that's really important right now is we've seen some big bets now around AI. We've seen big bets around cloud. We see kind of the huge promise of different types of technology, whether it's metaverse or, or whatever it may be. We always over-exaggerate the benefits, the business benefits, the societal benefits. We always believe change will happen more quickly than it actually does. We still have people that are slow to adopt cloud-based technology. We still have people that are humans who are resistant to change. We still have people using multiple different devices mm -hmm. to perform tasks. So I think one caution there is change is, is going to be a constant but as you think about these business cases you get in the finance function and you say, 
people are making big bets on adoption and the user experience and the productivity and kind of the customer kind of adoption side of it that's going to drive top and bottom line start to kind of say what are the lessons of history have mm-hmm. we over amplified on some of those expectations um it's easy to kind of make those points when you're putting the business cases together and be very aspirational have a have a look at the history of your company or kind of what people have been looking at and we always kind of overestimate the benefits and the adoption rates and again there's ways to accelerate that by kind of being focused on the technology really understanding the user experience over indexing on your adoption strategies but by and large i i worry that there's so much more technology now um and some of it um we we may not we may not put into mainstream use as much as we're kind of highlighting today all right that's helpful so then let's take a step back and look longer term so right now you know we've been very focused on immediate but as you look ahead where do you see successful companies focusing what do you sort of see coming next when I, when i think about if we so you think about like the 5 to 10 year horizon we've got to be thinking about you know places like india um where kind of my country of origin is you know that will be the most populous country in the world we've got to be thinking about kind of changing demographics in a market like the us where we'll have an aging population the millennials and gen z will be the majority in the workforce so where kind of where i see the 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 future focus is kind of younger people are going to have to get much more comfortable with all aspects of kind of transformation working with different ecosystems and different partners i'm hoping even though the the tea leaves are around deglobalization i'm hoping that this generation will be much more global and much more connected i think there'll be some 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 things that different levels of government and different levels of leaders will have something to say there the hope is around kind of young global um people that want to be collaborative want to focus on purpose and values you know they'll be the business leaders going forward and we'll continue to say how do we innovate and kind of meet people's needs through technology through new products and that's where and we started this conversation talking a little bit about climate mm-hmm. that's where things like climate will be a forcing mechanism to say we have no option but to think about decarbonization we have no option but to think about using alternative fuel sources or alternative packaging materials and that's where we'll see kind of those kind of force mechanisms of change which again have implications on business models and and frankly job creation um in this country and, and around the world and we haven't actually talked about things that are happening in this country like the infrastructure act yes. which can create all kinds of new value and needs new skills and new jobs and different kind of financial kind of measures there as well so um I'm positive on the future um because i'm betting on i'm betting on the younger generation of which i have some children um but but there is going to be kind of new pools of value and new ways to work and and some new jobs and especially kind of the infrastructure ones here and in places like india they're going to have to make big investments there so vishal you made a good point and i should have asked you before you mentioned that the ceo survey was not very optimistic but sounds like you and all through all the work you're doing are retaining your optimism that you've had in all these past podcasts that we've done is that the case or are you thinking we're in for weathering a bit of a storm here uh i worry about the geopolitical tensions because some decisions that could make be made that kind of make a lot of this kind of these points moot but my my bet is that kind of 
the best way to get economic security is kind of through jobs. And the best way to get jobs is kind of leaning into businesses and innovation. And there's going to be roles that governments have there. So my optimism is is really driven as a business person. And it's a big bet on business around job creation and people. But yes, there's there could be some existential shocks there, some that that kind of might might make this um these points a little moot. But let's hope we don't go there. <laughs> All right, that's good. So the optimism is still there. So let me ask you a final raffle question. So my team was telling me that you started teaching an MBA course. And it's funny, I have another regular guest, Andreas Ohl, who's also teaching an MBA course. So it definitely seems like a thing, but very curious about that. And in particular, what advice you would give us or you're giving your MBA students as we kind of look ahead. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. So yes, term starts uh, this January. I teach at Stern um, the strategy consulting class. Um, I, I love developing young young people and kind of sharing that. And kind of what I do is share some of my experiences. Um, the lessons I'm kind of trying to impart there is when we talk about purpose and values and we talk about areas like inclusion mm-hmm. and we talk about kind of the role of leaders, when we work on some of these cases that are you know, focused on financials, focused on ESG, focus on new products, new markets for some of these um, some of these cases they're working on. What I'm trying to share and impart is leadership matters, transparency matters, um, being a good global citizen matters, um, income inequality matters. These are all big topics of the of the day. Um, and the and people can make a lot of criticism around kind of MBA and MBA mm-hmm. classes, but by and large, when we talk about those topics and also team dynamics and how people work together, the students are really open. They're really open, not just to kind of learn the theory, but how to practice that using some of the business skills that we've talked about around leadership and purpose and values and kind of thinking about all the stakeholders. So again, it drives some of my optimism being around some of the younger people who will be future leaders. All right. Well, it definitely sounds like some of us more experienced workers then need to also continue to embrace some of these different things because things are changing quickly. And, you know, we all are going to need to, to, I think, to achieve as much as as possible for us personally, as well as professionally. So, well, Bushan, it's always such a pleasure to have you on. I might have to have you on at the end of your MBA class to, to tell us what lessons you learned from teaching them. So in any event, thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Heather. That's our show for today. Tune in next week for more fresh episodes so that you never miss any of our audio content. Follow the PwC Accounting Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And to stay up to date on all our latest accounting and reporting news, sign up for our newsletter at viewpoint.pwc.com. From Thought Leadership at PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates, and they sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.